I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. I really stress the fact that a high-quality protein diet is an essential part of the whole formulation. And you take something like wheat protein, and not more than 50% of what you eat is actually digested. And when you give just three of the nine essential amino acids, you very quickly become deficient in the other six. You tend to pay much more attention to whether you're meeting your essential amino acid requirements than the dietary protein requirements. People just draw a blank when you mention the word essential amino acids. Oh, dear listener, I hope that you are ready for an absolute masterclass on what I think will blow your mind when it comes to what is really needed for optimal nutrition. That, everyone, is Dr. Robert Wolf, who served as a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. And the focus of Dr. Wolf's 40 years of medical research has been primarily on aging, metabolism, and muscle performance. He's published over 500 peer-reviewed research articles, three books, has 14 patents. He's also the founder of the AminoCo, which was formed to bring his patented amino acid profiles to the market. And I absolutely love these products. And we talked specifically about what these products are for, what they do, and how essential they really are for your optimal health. You're gonna get an understanding that you need fewer calories, but more essential amino acids. High quality protein and amino acids are really the key to the best possible nutrition, no matter who you are. And wouldn't you know it, there's a special offer just for you if you go to aminoco.com forward slash OPP and use the code OPP for 30% off. These are the highest quality essential amino acid products on the planet and they're not expensive, so go check it out. I don't usually suggest this, but uh, Dr. Wolf does speak a little slowly, so if you want to speed up to 1.25, this would be a good episode to do that. I'm so excited to release this podcast episode. It has totally changed the way that I think about nutrition. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Robert Wolf from AminoCo. And I'm here with Dr. Robert Wolf, the co-founder of the Amino Company and holder of 14 patents on essential amino acids. Uh, Dr. Wolf, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. You know, I I, I got to be totally honest with you. Um, I really had no idea how much groundbreaking research you did until I did a deep dive and really tried to wrap my mind around the volume of research that you've been doing over the years. And so if you could just maybe give our listeners a, sort of a high level overview of what you've been focusing on in in your professional life? My career is focused on human metabolism and uh, different applications. I started off my career working at at Harvard Medical School in the hospital for severely burned children. And uh, the major issue over those first several years of my career was developing approaches to be able to enable these little kids that had severe burns. And I mean, the the average size burn was 70% of third degree burns, first of all, to recover. And then over the years, we developed a tremendous improvement in in, in recovery from a 40% burn being 50% lethal to 98% third degree burn being survivable. And so what then became much more pertinent was the recovery process and enabling these kids once they got out of the hospital to resume a normal life and and be able to play and get over the debilitating effect of these severe burns. And that led me to a a whole application of amino acids in particular to stimulate both growth and performance in these kids. And that translated then to a whole variety of applications, starting with the uh, funding from NASA to try to address the muscle loss that occurs during spaceflight and uh, the difficulty of maintaining muscle mass when there's no resistance to anything you do. And that started my uh, research sort of tracking towards developing specific nutritional supplements that are capitalizing on the research that I've done over many years, uh, defining what the metabolic responses in muscles are and and designing specific uh, profiles of amino acids that are optimal for different circumstances, both clinical as well as exercise. The exercise really sort of boiled down to two general areas, and that's pre-exercise and during exercise and then uh, following exercise and determining if there are specific differences between the types of exercise, what the composition of these optimally are, what are the problems, and In that regard, it really kind of brought me back to my uh, younger days where I was an athlete growing up. I I was actually kind of a unique circumstance of, uh, I I had a basketball scholarship at the University of California and and played there for 
my career and was drafted by the Warriors. But I also was kind of a odd multi-sport. I, I think I'm the only one in the, in the school's history to get varsity letters in three different sports because I also uh, competed on the track team for two years. But then it just got too tough with the basketball and the track se season starting the next week. So then I, I uh, played on the golf team the last two years. So so it's sort of an unusual triathlon. In fact, uh, the other day I was in Korea and uh, talking to the, the national coach of the triathlon. I said, well, my triathlon is basketball, golf, and running. So, uh, <laughs> But then after, uh, after graduation and, and my competitive career was fundamentally over, I started really getting into marathon running which I trained for mainly by running to and from work for my whole life and, and ended up uh, never being world-class, but I did, I ran 62 marathons under 230. So uh, longevity was kind of my uh, strength more than uh, uh, elite status, but, you know, tooting my own horn there to, to some extent, but I really wanted to just emphasize that my experience with the uh, development of products focused on performance really stems from uh, my own involvement in a whole variety of sports. I also served as a uh, consultant for U.S. Swimming for a number of years and was on the uh, committee of the International Olympic Committee to develop nutritional guidelines for all the various sports in the, uh, that compete in the Olympics. So I've had a long interest both in science and in athletics. So they've kind of come together in designing the products for performance that uh, the Minoco sells. Incredible, incredible. I I, th I have so much respect and admiration for uh for formulators of different products or devices who are also athletes because it, it's theoretical and and you know uh, clinical is one thing, but practical application for high performers, especially athletes who are listeners of this podcast, I think is a unique combination. Like you, you probably had to focus quite extensively on recovery running all those marathons yeah well i think that uh, that's uh that's one of the interesting things is getting older because i'm 76 now and i think the main thing that changes as you get older is the recovery process is gets longer and longer and i think that's one of the main areas that the aminos can really help out in, in trying to shorten the recovery period because you know, you get to be my age and the recovery period that without some aid is so long that you get a detraining effect from the last workout if you uh, waited just to you felt like working out again. So <laughs> uh, so I think that, that, that to your point also, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, application is not just quantifying performance, but sort of a practical side too, because I know from running, the reason I started running to and from work was... Uh, well, I'd come home from work and, and you know, be dark and cold and just so hard to get out the door to start a run. And uh, design, I figured, well, I got to get to work in the morning and there will come a time in the day when I'd rather go home than uh, uh, avoid my workout. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that a beverage to sort of help you get going and the, you know, just the impetus to get out the door this is just as important as it is uh, as to exactly how it functions, because I know from many years of experience, it's just not that easy sometimes to uh, to actually go out and do a workout. And, and once you get started, kind of like water running downhill, you know, it's once you're started, it's going to keep going. But, you know, that's that's how I kind of got into the mental aspects of support from uh, nutritional products. Incredible. Oh, I love it. You, you designed it so you couldn't wiggle out. I love that. <laughs> Spoken like a true, a true athlete. I, I, I'm going to be jumping around through this conversation. I'm going to be diving into different spaces. And some of some of these questions are going to be so basic. So I, I apologize up front for for the basic questions. But if you could, if you could please explain um the difference between branch chain amino acids and essential amino acids as a, as a dietary supplement. Sure. There are nine amino acids. Well, just to back up a little bit, the proteins in the body, and there's maybe over 3,000, they all are comprised of different combinations of amino acids. And the amino acids then can be considered the building blocks of the protein. And out of those amino acids, 11 of them are produced by metabolic reactions in the body so that they really don't need to be consumed to enable 
the uh, production of new proteins to replace those that are broken down. But there are nine amino acids that are called essential amino acids that aren't produced in the body. And the only way we can get them is by our nutritional intake. And in fact, the essential amino acids are the only macronutrients that are actually required for survival. You can do without fat, you can do without carbohydrate and still survive, but the essential amino acids are uh, an important component of our diet that without them, we can't survive. So today's episode is brought to you by the Amino Co., the most cutting edge, rigorously researched amino acid formulations in the world. With over 30 years of experience and over 500 medical research papers published, it's my go-to for performance and muscle building. As an optimal performing biohacking dad with BJJ and a ridiculously busy schedule, I want to put the best quality stuff in my body I can. I use the AminoCo's 100% science-backed formulas called Perform as a pre-workout and a during-workout enhancer to increase my strength and endurance during 90-minute BJJ training sessions and other workouts. The AminoCo's Perform blend is three times more effective on a gram-for-gram basis than any protein source. I also notice an increase in cognitive function, focus, and concentration, and it makes multiple-day fasts super easy. I've been doing three-day fasts recently, and it's way easier when I take Perform throughout the fasting period. Go check out their science and go check out one of the four products that they offer because they specialize in essential amino acids. Head to aminoco.com forward slash OPP and use the code OPP to receive 30% off. That's aminoco.com forward slash OPP and use the code OPP for 30% off. So the notion that essential amino acids are, are a benefit is nothing new. It dates back to uh, maybe over 100 years of understanding that the, the, these nine amino acids are essential and you have to eat them. Out of those nine essentials, there are three that are called the branch chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And they comprise a significant portion of muscle protein. So leucine is about 25% of the essential amino acids in muscle protein is leucine and then uh, a little bit less of the isoleucine availing. So they comprise a significant portion of, of muscle protein. So it's important in any approach or composition to, to stimulate the, the regeneration of muscle protein, it's necessary to have the branch chain amino acids. One of the reasons that leucine in particular has gotten a lot of focus is that it's been discovered that the molecular process involved in initiating the whole whole scenario of stimulation of protein synthesis can be activated by leucine. So that a very high dose of leucine activates a molecule called mTOR, which is kind of the pivot point of all the all the different cascades of uh, molecular processes that enable the whole synthesis synthesis of new muscle protein to occur. So. So the idea came along to, to, to give a high dose of leucine alone and that that would activate the whole process and it would be, uh, uh, you know, really uh, almost like a nutraceutical that this is one amino acid would be, would be effective. And the initial results were, were really uh, very poor. And, and one of the reasons is that the enzyme that breaks down leucine also breaks down isoleucine and valine. So giving... Leucine alone caused deficiencies in both the other two amino acids. So the idea was, okay, we'll give branch chain amino, give all three of them, and that way we won't develop any deficiencies and still get the leucine effect. The uh, particular application of that was sort of in two directions. One is to promote the production of new muscle protein. And the other has to do with uh, the mental focus and the um, fatigue and, and what we call central fatigue. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The main role that, that you can understand why the branched chain amino acids are limited in their function in terms of providing the building blocks for new protein is that to make a new protein, you need all of the amino acids that go into that protein. And when you give just three of the nine essential amino acids, you very quickly become deficient in the other six. And so, in fact, the uh, production of new muscle from just the branched chain amino acids is not, not any more effective than with just leucine alone, and that there's actually no real demonstrable effect of 
the branch chain amino acids on uh, muscle protein. Now, in terms of a composition to maximally stimulate the, the production of new muscle, they've got to be included because they're major parts of the muscle protein. But they also have to be accompanied by all the other essential amino acids to optimize the profile that is going to produce new muscle protein to uh, replace those that are damaged and broken down in the process of exercise and other activities that cause a degradation in muscle protein. So we have this constant turnover of muscle protein breakdown from a workout and replenishing with the uh, amino acid formulation and the branched chain amino acids is really not effective without the other essentials. You need, it's, you need all of the components of a, of a dietary protein to be able to actually create new protein that, hold, that contains all of those amino acids. So we consider the branched-chain amino acids to be important, but by themselves, they've proven to not be effective in terms of rebuilding muscle and, and aiding performance. So it kind of went sideways to, uh, the, the, to, to the idea that, well, the branched-chain amino acids, really their value is enabling your mental focus to stay better. And uh, the reason for that, or the rationale, is that there are two major neurotransmitters in the brain, the dopamine and the serotonin. Serotonin predominates that ratio. You feel tired. It's a, it induces sleep. It's in the context of exercise. If the serotonin goes up relative to the dopamine, you're going to feel tired and quit before you are physically really drained. So the idea was that the branched-chain amino acids block the amino acid tryptophan from going into the brain because they all are transported in the same way. And if you had high branch chains, you'd inhibit the tryptophan. And uh, the tryptophan inhibition reduced the availability of serotonin and that this would enable you to keep exercising even though you're physically, you're mentally, it keep you mentally sharp or keep you sort of in the game, so to speak. The problem with that approach, unfortunately, was that the high branch chain also blocked the precursor for the production of dopamine so that it really wasn't that effective in terms of the ratio between dopamine and serotonin. And the results, while initially the theory was really good and you sort of referred to it as a theoretical, uh, theoretical thing to develop some of these ideas, but the theory didn't translate to actual improved performance because just as the uh, branch chains limited the production of serotonin, they also limit the production of dopamine, which is the excitatory uh, neurotransmitter that gets you up for, for starting exercise, as well as keeping you in the game as you continue. So, so it's kind of struck out in both regards. It, it, uh, it, you know, it, it, it had the benefit of a lot of hype and a lot of money into the uh, uh, advertising of it, but unfortunately, that was all really predicated on a theory that has not translated to actual performance enhancement. And that's, uh, uh, in fact, I published a paper uh, specifically addressing all of the uh, issues related to the branched-chain amino acids and documenting the fact that that the branched-chain amino acids alone have been a real disappointment in terms of enhancing performance, but at the same time, let's not forget that there are three important uh, components of the essential amino acids. So we, we want to have the branch chains, but we need all of the amino acids to really have mm -hmm. true effectiveness. I appreciate that. I appreciate that because that, that does that's a great overview to kind of think about, especially with the products that you have formulated. Um, but also it helps. I think it helps me. It helps the listeners kind of understand uh, the distinction there. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about um, fasting. Uh, because more and more research, you know, I, it's it's becoming more and more popular, especially in my in my world of of biohacking. We know, you know, the the benefits of either intermittent, intermittent fasting or or multiple day fasting, you know, um, for the gut microbiome, for autophagy, etc. And I've tried three day fasts before, uh, three times, and they're hard and. I tried recently another three-day water-only fast, but supplemented with Perform that you formulated, and it was a cakewalk. It was a breeze. 
And I'm, and I'm so curious about, about what, what, why did that work so well? What is it that, what is it about that product that allowed me to have motivation and mental clarity and energy that I, that I didn't have when I tried multi-day fasts without it? Well, you know, fasting is an interesting thing. Uh, I, I came across an article that was in 1972 that the Fukuoka Marathon, which was at that time the biggest other than the Boston Marathon in the world, that the top 14 finishers had fasted for seven to 10 days before running the race. What? And so that that really tweaked my interest in the fact that, uh, you know, the whole carb loading and so forth, I hadn't had much success with it myself. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, there's something more to this and uh, and and did a series of studies in uh, the 1980s with three day fasts. And uh, just a funny so sidelight to that, you know, you have to have an IRB approval for everything and the subject agrees to it. And we had a typo on one that had it listed as the effects of a three day feast instead of a three day fast. And we didn't <laughs> First subject came in, and you know, I had it like, oh, well, you're not going to get any food for three days. So. <laughs> but any, so I've got a long-standing interest in uh, the, the the issue of fasting, and one of the things that uh, I drew upon was the fact that back in the 1980s, or I guess it was about the 1980s, the Irish uh, the IRA. Uh, was getting arrested in, in, in Great Britain and, and they were fast they fasted until they died, several of them. And uh, they uh, wanted their sacrifice to have some physiological benefit. And so they they had blood drawn every day to sort of track what happened during the fasting all the way to death. And the interesting aspect was even after a month of no food intake at all, that the amino acid levels were still maintained in a normal level. And only when the amino acid levels dropped down to, uh, couldn't be maintained at the normal level, that preceded death by a day or two. So that, so that uh, that really tweaked my interest in is how does the body regulate the amino acid levels uh, to maintain even in the absence of food intake for as long as a month or more. And what I found was that the muscle serves as the reservoir for the amino acids in the blood. There are a lot of tissues in the body, like the heart and the brain and the skin, liver, these tissues you can't do without. And there's this turnover of protein that they all, all the proteins in all of these tissues break down and they've got to be replaced, but you're not eating any food. So where do the amino acids come from? They come from muscle protein breakdown because you can lose some of your muscle without any consequence in terms of survival. Certainly in terms of performance, it'll be a factor, but not in terms of survival. And so that the way the, uh, the muscle, muscle regulates the blood levels of amino acids, even in fasting, so you get this accelerated muscle protein breakdown, but it has other consequences so that the... Uh, uh, the profile of the plasma amino acids does change some. And I had just gone into this uh, issue of the profile of the uh, favor in the uh, excitatory versus the uh, uh, inhibitory neurotransmitters. But there are other molecules that are also regulated by amino acid levels, including society and hunger and, and a lot of different emotional factors that derive from amino acids that come from the breakdown of muscle protein. But the problem is that the profile isn't really exactly the normal case. So that by providing something like perform specifically during the fasting, you're substituting the amino acids that are coming from muscle protein with something that's been designed to specifically address the condition of, of uh, a deprivation or, or shortage of amino acids. Because the same thing occurs in exercise as it does with fasting, just more compressed. When you start running a uh, uh, training, for example, an aerobic sport, you start oxidizing the amino acids, particularly the branched chain amino acids. And so muscle protein breakdown will, will be providing those into the blood if you're not eating anything, if you have no, no source of them, as in the case of more prolonged case with, uh, ex with the fasting. 
But what you're doing is a very low calorie, a single dose of 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 the uh, of the uh, perform will be not more than 35 to 40 calories. So you're not really providing, and there's no sugar, so you're not really disrupting the body's adaptation to fasting, but you are slowing down the muscle breakdown and you're normalizing the amino acids in the blood so that your neurotransmitters and dietary uh, regulators are kept more on an even keel. And it, it really seems to make a, a real difference not only in fasting, but in performance, which is really kind of a compressed uh, case of fasting where your demand for amino acids far exceeds the supply because you're not, if you're not eating any during the competition. Amazing. That's totally makes sense to me in my, you know, sort of inexperienced N of one biohacker guy, you know, I've experimented with different types of amino acids from different manufacturers. And when I could feel the difference of my performance during that three-day fast, when I feel the difference of, you know, taking perform as a pre-workout supplement, when I go roll jujitsu for an hour and a half and people are trying to kill me, I can tell a difference. And I have not ever been able to tell a difference before in any other sort of amino acid product that I've taken, which brings to mind a question that I have, which is, Obviously, the, the the science is is a big part of of what you do, and and really high quality products, uh, best in class, you know, best in the world. What 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 are the risks of taking subpar quality uh, essential amino acids? Like, what is the risk of taking a a a less less high quality product? Well. Uh... I don't know if we can really call it the risk. The result will be just uh, less uh, effectiveness. And uh, one of the studies that I did several years ago showed that we took the exact same uh, amino acid content of seven grams of amino acids. In one case, the profile of whey protein, which we know to be a good uh, high quality protein. And the other, uh, the exact same amount of essential amino acids formulated to maximize muscle protein recovery. And that the response to the engineered uh, mixture was more than twice that of the profile in the whey protein. And that's really what the basis for all the various patents I have is the recognition that the concept of essential amino acids is, is a broad topic. There's uh, nine essential amino acids. You can have any number of permutations. And what's often the case is that, that companies come up with formulations based on the cheapest amino acids and the ones that are taste the, the least objectionable and are soluble. And you know there are practical applications that go into uh, uh, the selection of the products rather than the, uh, the approach that we've taken is to get the science and, and and in fact, each one of these products was developed with major peer-reviewed grants from the National Institutes of Health. Maybe if we tally up for the four products, at least $15 million of grant funding for developmental through clinical trials of these products. And then the food scientists have actually been able to engineer them into a palatable format rather than starting with one of the cheapest components and uh, how can we maximize them? So. So all mixtures of essential amino acids are not the same. Uh, and I think that it's hard for non-scientists to appreciate what the difference is. But if you can, if you go to the webpage, we've tried to uh, give a lot of basic information to enable you to, to make informed decisions. It's, uh, as I said, they, uh, uh, this is all we do is uh, amino acid formulations and there are different applications that a particular formulation will work better than a different one. And uh, let's just talk about exercise, for example. Even forgetting disparaging other products, just comparing our own products in one circumstance to the other. The product life is not really designed for strenuous exercise, but rather situations where the uh, responsiveness of muscle isn't so good. And in particular in older individuals, that was where it originally was uh, developed for. And then uh, it's turned out to be useful in other cases as well, but all sharing the same uh, 
problem that that this that a particular amount of amino acids aren't as effective as they are in a young healthy person and as i said i'm 76 so i can testify that that's a very real thing and it's called anabolic resistance that the anabolic response to dietary protein is just not the same and so it has a high content of leucine to uh specifically activate this molecule mTOR that's necessary for uh the activation of protein synthesis, which in a young, healthy person, you really don't need that. It's already got enough level of activity to respond to the amino acids. And the problem is if you have high leucine, then that means that all the others are going to be proportionally lower. So uh, there's kind of a balance. Now, you don't really want this prior to exercise because exercise alone, whether it's aerobic or anaerobic or what most sports are, is kind of a mixture activates this mTOR molecule so that you only need to have enough leucine to be in the same proportion of what its requirement is as a component of the intact protein. It doesn't need to be elevated to uh, try to activate mTOR. That's already occurring. And when you, uh, when you uh, take this lower effectiveness, lower dose of leucine, it's not metabolized so rapidly during exercise. When you give a high branch chain amino acid or leucine, the reason it isn't that effective is the body uses it, particularly the muscle uses it for energy. It just uh, burns it up and produces ATP and uses it for energy. So there's no point in giving a high leucine mixture relation to exercise because it's just going to be metabolized. And, and, and what it means is that all the rest are at a lower quantity. So, uh, so it's a, that's sort of the theory as to why in relation to pre-exercise, you don't want to have a mixture that has a high uh, um, leucine content. So if you compare our product of life versus perform, the perform is going to be more effective before exercise. The life is going to be more effective in uh, the case of older individuals that aren't really doing any kind of strenuous exercise. And, uh, and the other products are targeting things like liver health and uh, uh, recovery, which is a, a little bit different story. So, so uh, it's a challenge for us because we're using products that are opt uh, components that are the optimal mixture, which uh, limits our ability to reduce the price to where they can be competitive with some of the other products that are using amino acids that are not an ideal mixture, but they are cheap. And so that's why, you know, I know I'm probably boring your, uh, your listeners with uh, too much science, but everything hinges on the science, really. That's the, the thing that distinguishes us from other products. We don't do anything else but amino acid products. And uh, everything we've done is years of research behind them. And uh, th they are very distinct, not only from other products, but each product into it in, in, in our own portfolio has uh, got a specific application. Yeah. So we've talked about life, which uh, which is, you know, sustaining maybe for for folks who are, who are not quite as active. We've got perform as a, as a pre-workout and I'm telling you a game changer for multi-day fasting. And then the other two that you touched on very briefly were heal and purity and um, you know, the, the container size is drastically different between purity and heal. Obviously it heal, you know what that's for. It says it on the, it says it on the container. It says it's for, you know, uh, surgery recovery or injury recovery. And so maybe if you could, since we're on, on the topic, maybe sort of outline what heal and, and purity are specifically for and how. The, uh, the perform is meant as a pre and during workout formulation. It has uh, the amino acids to optimize the mental focus, uh, promoting dopamine production and suppressing serotonin so that you feel energized and ready to go. And, and if you take it throughout the exercise, it also maintains that excitement and, and alertness. And that is the foundation. But it also uh, comprises uh, all of the essential amino acids. So there is a maintenance of the amino acid levels. And, and one of the things that people don't fully appreciate is during exercise, you actually get a breakdown of your muscle protein. And then in the recovery, it, it, it is re, you regroup and it's replaced. But 
if you can prevent that breakdown during the exercise, the recovery process is much better. So that uh, the PERFORM has the role, not just of the neurotransmitters, but also of slowing down the breakdown of muscle protein caused by the stress of the exercise. And that's true whether it's aerobic, anaerobic, or you know the, the combined sports like most sports are. They usually have elements of everything. Well, it turns out that really, the PERFORM is adequate for all of those, but, but uh, and, and so that the loss of protein during the exercise is minimized. And furthermore, there's also some electrolytes in there so that uh, uh, you don't need to take PERFORM and something like, uh, uh, you know, an electrolyte replacement beverage because there's enough replacements, uh, uh, enough electrolytes in there to replace it. And, you know, I guess there's kind of a, a bias of my own that, uh, you know, I, I walked the golf course and, you know, after uh, two or three hours, started dragging some, but uh, the performance really enables you to just keep going, keep, uh, keep going mentally, even as you get physically more tired. And, and of course, with more active sports, that time is compressed, but, but, but important. Now recovery, the uh, heel process, the heel was designed for uh, recovery from major sort of catastrophic things like hip replacement and knee replacement and uh, major surgery, where uh, in the recovery process, not only do you have to produce new tendons and muscle in particular, but uh, you're kind of limited by the fact that the stress has decreased your appetite and, uh, and so that you're in kind of a low calorie intake quite often. And so we've combined an essential amino acid mixture with a certain amount of whey protein because uh, the general point I made about the fact that you don't need to eat the non-essential amino acids is true as for most dietary supplements, but when you're in the recovery period and really trying to build a mass of muscle, the recovery uh, does require a lot more uh, amino acids. And as a result, you can start getting depleted in the non-essentials as well. So that the whey protein provides both the essentials and non-essential amino acids to kind of balance the effect of the essential amino acid mixture. So it's a combination product that takes advantage of the profile of the amino acids, but also, uh, and, and the other thing about whey protein, one of the reasons it's so popular is that there seems to be some effectiveness of whey protein above and beyond its amino acid profile. And uh, it's been attributed to diantripeptides. And, and that's why as a source of dietary protein to provide the non-essentials that are needed when you're really trying to build up a lot of muscle, then the uh, whey protein has potentially advantages over other dietary proteins to balance it. But, uh, so that's why the, the container is a lot bigger because you've got to take a lot more of the whey protein to be effective. And, and it, it's an effective post-exercise beverage, but recognize you've got to take more of it than you do with the perform because it's uh, you know got whey protein, which is not as effective on a gram per gram basis as the essentials. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, the 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 more I the more I learn about optimal nutrition, and I know that it's case by case, depending on what your goals are and how old you are and what your diet is. Um, but I know that in your research in metabolic health, you've learned quite a lot about um, you know optimal diets and um, you know you know diets for performance. And I have this idea, I have this thought, kind of this vision for, for the future. And, 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 and it in, includes fewer calories, but higher quality dietary supplements and whole foods. And obviously we in the Western world overconsume just about everything, but Maybe I, I'm just I'm seeing if 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 you jive with this, if this makes sense to you, like you don't have to eat quite as much, but you can still perform at a high level if you're eating high quality food and supplementing with products like yours that have these profiles that are that are sustaining, you know? Like did does that does that make any sense the way that I lay that out? Yeah, well, I've been 
tracking on the exact same pathway because I haven't just worked on amino acid supplements, but uh, I've had a major interest and in, in involvement in dietary, overall dietary composition and dietary protein in particular. And I've been part of the uh, Food and Agricultural Organization of the WHO to uh, come up with a system to to evaluate or to quantify the the value of proteins, uh, the quality of proteins, and and uh, what what it turns out is that if you're uh, going to have a high quality protein diet based uh, uh, approach, that uh, that will include a lot of meat and fish and poultry, which are the highest quality proteins in terms of both the uh, amount and profile of the essential amino acids. Uh, if you're going to be uh, on a plant-based protein diet, then you need to uh, really take note of what the exact composition of the, of the proteins are. And it, it becomes difficult to meet the optimal uh, requirement for essential amino acids. And so that uh, one of the applications of, of our formulations, and it really will hold true for any of them, that it really helps if you're focused on a plant-based diet to uh, smooth out the uh, total requirements for uh, for uh, uh, essential amino acids because it may be very difficult to achieve that, particularly in a vegan diet. It's it's a very difficult to achieve uh, an adequate, meeting all requirements, but even a vegetarian diet to some extent. Uh, what that whole approach. Uh, has really uncovered is that for years and years, and this is really true in my interest in running as well, way too much focus has been on the value of the non-protein calories. And that uh, that uh, things like uh, the carb loading, I think has really not panned out. That We don't use uh, carbohydrate extensively as a, a trained marathoner is not relying heavily on carbohydrates. Um, I think that the role in carbohydrate and fat intake in terms of producing fatty liver has been a, uh, a major factor related to the whole metabolic disease syndrome. And, uh, and I think that it's hard sell to tell people you need to just eat less. But, uh, but if you can, because obviously that, in a, in a sense, that's not easy to do for most. I mean, I think a lot of us have maintained exercise all our lives so that we can eat whatever we want. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is that you really can uh, uh, do a lot to assess what are the optimal protein requirements of the diet? How can they be uh, amplified or, or assisted by appropriate uh, nutritional supplements? And, and then, uh, you know, consider the dietary fat and carbohydrates really as, as afterthoughts, because if you get the proper optimal dietary protein nutrition, then uh, the, the rest of that doesn't really matter that much. And uh, in that regard, I mean, because you're bound to get uh, a, lot, a lot of the micronutrients in the context of, of looking after your protein requirements. And in uh, the book I wrote on sort of a guide to amino acid and protein nutrition, I, I really stress the fact that a high quality protein diet is an essential part of the whole formulation. And that while it's true that, that the essentials in a format like the uh, dietary supplements can smooth out a diet that's not so good. And this is really important for athletes that are like in college and eating and dorm food and stuff. I think it's really important, but but beyond that, to whatever extent possible, we want to really focus on a good, healthy diet as well, because that's always going to be the cornerstone of the whole nutritional approach. Final point, though, and I think that it's, it's worth really making a note of this. You know, we, I mentioned the, uh, the real high quality proteins or meat in particular, and then also poultry and uh, other sources that are sort of coming under fire for particularly related to sustainability and uh, those sort of issues that the uh, amino acids are made by fermentation and are thus completely sustainable. They did no drain on the uh, uh, environment whatsoever. So that if, if that aspect is an issue that you're concerned with, the uh, amino acids represent really the only truly sustainable approach to uh, uh, nutritional, uh, to nutritional, uh, 
well-being. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, all of my focus has been on effectiveness and, and uh, composition and so forth. But I think it, at the same time, it's important to recognize that these represents uh, very uh, sustainable alternatives if you don't want to be eating uh, dietary meat or other products that may put some kind of a stress on the environment. That's a really great point. I hadn't really thought about that. And I think that I did know that that fermentation was 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 the process, but um, it beats the hell out of a, you know, impossible burger where they're monocropping and putting a bunch of, you know, just terrible, you know, thousand ingredients in a patty of fake meat versus feedlots. And obviously like, you know, um, regenerative farming kind of answers a lot of those questions around, you know, um, soil health and all that stuff. But, uh, the fact that you can get really high quality nutrients through the fermentation process can help you, I don't know, sleep better at night. If you're concerned about, you know, the degradation of the planet, which I think is an interesting point. And one thing that you said just a minute ago about, you know, college athletes, I, I myself was a, a, a college soccer player and that was, you know, 2001 to 2005 and carb loading was the thing. And we would go out to like the Olive Garden the night before a game, you know, we'd take a trip down to Cal State Bakersfield and, you know, play a string games. And we would go to all these pasta restaurants the night before. And it just, it, it always just made me tired and sleepy and sluggish and lethargic. And so it's like, I wish I knew some of this stuff now. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 and more fit than I've ever been in my life because <laughs> I don't need, I don't need pasta. So no, I think it's an interesting point. Yeah, it really is. Uh, when I first made the trend, well, the, the, the two things, one of it's the uh, college, you know, uh, I kept missing training table because the cafeteria would close up before the workouts were over. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, that, and, and you didn't have a, a selection of really high quality food. Now, nowadays, I'm sure if you're a football player, you got plenty of options, but uh, for the other athletes, uh, less so. So I, I do think that, that that's one area that's uh, that's definitely uh, uh, a tangible uh, point. And, and I think that I think that the processing of the food is an important issue too. You know, you referred to the Impossible Burger. In fact, we just did a study showing that the impossible burger had very little effect on stimulating new muscle protein at all. Yeah. And, uh, and yet they somehow uh, make this approach as if it's a health benefit yeah. and yet uh, just highly processed uh, when you can't eat, you know, it just, it's soy is one of the most highly processed uh, protein food sources, even though it, once you've got the purified protein is, is a pretty high quality protein, but people overlook the, uh, all the process between what it takes to grow the toy and, uh, and in particular, the processing that's required and the additives that are included. And it's just, uh, I think that uh, it's so much preferable to take a more natural protein food source and, and enhance the profile of the amino acids with a dietary supplement of amino acids. I'm super curious. How many Impossible Burgers did you make the uh, trial uh, people eat? <laughs> well, we had uh, the comparison, the compar and this was a study sponsored, I should mention, was sponsored by the uh, Beef Association. So, it okay. was, uh, so, you know, keep that in mind. But the, uh, it was one four-ounce beef patty versus uh, one Impossible Burger fatty, which is four ounces, and then two Impossible Burger. And of course, the subjects were paid, so it wasn't a problem to get them to eat it. But, you know, to that point, you never hear uh, somebody say, well, we've taken a beef burger and we've made it taste just like a plant-based uh, burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, veggie burgers used to be decent. They would have, like, mushrooms and black beans. Like, they were... But it wasn't trying to be beef. It wasn't trying to be, it wasn't trying to look like beef, yeah. bleed like beef, you know, when you cooked it. Ugh. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a strange tack that has developed and it's not really uh, 
and, and we've just not been able to substantiate that, that, that there's the nutritional value to it, that they seem to uh, operate under this halo of uh, uh, that if it's not meat, that it's uh, something that's far better for you. But but it's really not. And I think that uh, it's a little far afield from our discussion of the supplements. But 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 just to the point that, like I said, I'm not just a focus on on uh, amino acid supplements, but rather supplements as part of the overall diet. And I think that that's important to recognize that all aspects of the diet are important. Right. Well, let me go back then to the high quality protein intake. Uh, you know, I, I had Dr. Gabrielle Lyon on my podcast last week, uh, hasn't been released yet. And I know that you were recently on, on her podcast as well. And um, now I think people who are interested in nutrition and performance kind of know, if they don't know by now, I think they probably heard it, that, you know, it's one gram of protein per pound of body weight or per pound ideal body weight per day. Do you do you concur, doctor? Well, I think that the that's a, the answer is it depends because it depends what your source of protein is. Okay. Because the reason you eat your dietary protein is for the non for the essential amino acid component as well as and, and to get that into the body there are two aspects. There's the composition of the dietary protein and how well it's digested. Now you take something like wheat protein and not more than 50% of what you eat is actually digested. So right. obviously the amino acids have to get into the uh, blood before you can actually benefit from them. And, and it, with a lot of plant-based proteins, the uh, dietary uh, effectiveness is limited simply by the lack of digestibility. This isn't so much of a problem with the high quality proteins, whey protein and uh, other dietary meat proteins are over 90% absorbed. So that's not really a big issue. The issue that's more pertinent is that the content and profile of the essential amino acids of the protein really matter. And, and you know, in the days where these dietary recommendations were formulated and they go back, uh, the first, the first uh, dietary protein recommendations were made in around 1930. And they've never really substantively changed since then. And the, the, the thing to recognize is that those in those days, dietary protein was mostly things like meat and uh, fish and, and, and nobody was eating impossible burgers in, in 1940. And, uh, and so that was the background, but it's moved forward without ever really accounting for the fact that, that the amount of protein you need to meet your requirement for essential amino acids may vary quite a bit. So I really tend to pay much more attention to whether you're meeting your essential amino acid requirements than the dietary protein requirements. Mm. The second aspect is that it really depends on, on how old you are. Uh, the the, the uh, national guidelines for dietary protein, the oldest subject was 22 years old in the old database it was used. And it's just been assumed that as you get older, that it's the same. So if you're a young child, you need more protein and there is like every two or three years, a graded amount of protein you need relative to body weight for different ages. But then after 18, the requirement is the same ad infinitum. So a 90 year old person doesn't need any more protein than, than an 18 year old athlete. And uh, so I, I think that, so the answer is when I say it depends, it may be enough. I think it's not enough for a competitive athlete. Mm. And uh, even with the dietary supplements, the dietary supplements are something above and beyond your regular diet. And uh, they're absorbed by a different process. They come into the blood immediately. So they peak at a much higher level and they can have a big effectiveness with only a matter of four or five grams of essential amino acids when you actually might be eating as many as 30 or 40 grams over the course of the day in your regular diet. But the, but the profile being different and absorption different, you're capitalizing on those aspects, which will give you a, a, a much bigger response. But at the same time, the dietary intake is important. And the notion that everybody has the same requirements, regardless of the type of protein, regardless of your age, regardless of the activity level has been proven to be incorrect over and over and over. So mm -hmm. I think that that you really need to, if you're really interested in what the require, the, the, what you said is the requirement, that is accurate. 
the question is, is that sufficient for every circumstance you might think about? And I think all of the things we've talked about today, the answer is no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the whole point of the dietary supplements that 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 level of protein intake is not going to be adequate for optimal performance. And that's uh, been shown over and over and over again. So uh, I think you have to look for where your what kind of activity level, what's your age, what what sports are you doing, uh, you know, a variety of things. But uh, generally speaking, that level of protein intake is predicated on avoiding symptoms of deficiency. And as a competitive athlete, you want to do more than avoid deficiency. You want to have an optimal performance. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you not only want an optimal performance um, while you're doing the thing, but you also want optimal recovery and you want optimal mm -hmm. rest. And so that, you know, it's it's a it's a <laughs> it's a lot to consider to, to do it right. But that's you, you're totally expanding the way that I think about nutrition and, you know, putting essential amino acids sort of at the cornerstone and, you know, for a guy like yourself, that's done so much research and innovation, um, into metabolism and, you know, the 14 patents, et cetera, it's just, so let me ask a, a not fair question, um, and I'm mindful of time, so I, I won't keep you here for too much longer, but, you know, let's say 25 to 54, moderately active does some sports, maybe on the weekends, goes for walks, you know, um, nine to fiver. What is, what is the, what is the optimal diet for that male or female? Well, uh, that's a tough question because, uh, uh, I think that the, the optimal level of dietary protein sort of conventionally, uh, expressed in kilograms and so and it's a little harder to relate to it's 2.2 times 2.2 give you pounds so the the official dietary requirements for protein are 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram per day uh and that's a very small amount of what we consider protein food sources it's actually if you try to plot out a dietary uh, sheet for the whole day you're going to be over 0.8 grams uh, almost inevitably. It's it's really hard to get that low of a protein intake. So the experts are telling us you really don't need much dietary protein to meet your requirements. Uh, what my perspective is that that probably the optimal level is at least 50% higher than that, but that's still not going to give you an optimal amount of uh, of, of uh, protein and and that's why if let's say and that's going to be about the average american diet is 1.2 grams and in terms of dietary protein if it's a high quality protein that's probably about okay minimal but okay definitely needs to be higher with a with a older person but that's why i i, I focus so much on the supplementation because uh it depends on so many factors, you know, it just, I think what, one of the things that we're really trying to look to the future is what we call personalized nutrition, where we can get programs developed that really help us. Uh, if and I, what you just described, you slot that in and you have a specific requirement or optimal dot for that uh, permutation, uh, but we don't have that yet. That's the goal. And that's the whole role of the dietary supplements. You know, we know about what the protein level people eat. And, you know, there's the general concept of, well, that's enough. But that's only because we don't see diseases related to protein malnutrition in people. It doesn't, it's not because we uh, uh, have optimized performance levels or even, even alertness. I, I start, once I had finished with uh, uh the Perform, I stopped drinking coffee in the morning. The first thing I do in the morning is drink a glass of Perform and uh, mm. just feel alert and feel good without any of the, uh, I, I never really liked coffee much. So uh, it's not, uh, it wasn't a hard transition to make. And I do usually work out in the morning. So, you know, that works out. But even if I don't, I find it a good uh, way to start the day. And uh and I think that it's going to enhance any diet is the point. I think if you have a high quality protein diet with lots of protein, you eat all the right carbs uh, with uh, high fiber, you eat, minimize your uh, saturated fat intake, 
you're still going to benefit from the uh, essential amino acids, maybe even more. And that's why in my book on amino acid protein nutrition, I focus a lot on what are you actually eating as part of your diet. And it's a focus on the essential amino acids. You know, that's, you hit the nail on the head that that, when we look at what an optimal diet is, that's where, where we really need to be looking at and mm. uh, start from there and, you know, sort of branch out to fl fill out the details. But, but that's the heart of the diet is the, what's the profile and amount of essential amino acids you're getting. You, yeah, that, that, that much is clear. That's uh, you've really expanded my, the way that I think about nutrition a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I think that we have all the tools at our disposal. We have the platforms to not only customize our diet based on what we're, what our goals are, what our age is. Um, we, you know, now telemedicine can, you know, can, can do blood work relatively affordably, you know, to help you with, you know, all sorts of, issues that, that you may be experiencing when within right now, what do you need right now? Not forget about a year ago or two years ago, because you may have totally different needs now. And I think that, that we're, I think that that's, that that's coming. Um, now it's just a matter of making that more and more affordable so that people can get like, what does Sean need today? Right. That's, or, you know, for the next six months and then make decisions there. Yeah. Well, I think it's achievable. Uh, you know, one of one of the approaches that that, uh, that that's possible is you, you assess all of the dietary proteins that are being eaten. You know the profile of the amino acids. <laughs> what other proteins could you substitute in there to optimize the overall profile so that the the, the they're really complementary in terms of this protein may be deficient in that, in particular amino acid. So combine it with this protein, and it will uh, give you a better. Um, balance of the amino acid mixtures and those things can all, all be done but they're not being done yet so uh so i think that when we do get that the the, the place that's really going to be it's going to really hit the uh uh amino acid supplementation because uh no matter what your profile of the essential amino acids in your diet you can smooth that out with a relatively small amount of the uh uh, dietary supplementation, which I think is going to be the most practical way to go than rather than getting people to, you know, try to find more of this particular protein or that protein and cooking them together. And they got to be eaten at the same time. And I mean, there are a lot of problems. If you think about all the details as compared to just taking a scoop full of the uh, essential yeah. amino acids and adding it to whatever you like to eat. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it totally does simplify the process. And if you're if you're eating for fuel and for performance, you know, having some mouth pleasure occasionally, you know, obviously, you, I know, thank you the same way. You know, eating good food is one of the joys of life. And yeah. but you don't, you know, you don't you don't party with food every day. You know, if you're golfing or jujitsu or CrossFit, or you just want to stay alert all day, doing that with a scoop. Uh, with a scoop in your shaker and down the hatch, like that, that satisfies, you know, a lot of what you, what you need. Um, I want to, I want to ask one more question and then I've got a fill in the blank question to, uh, to round out this interview. This has been so interesting. It's really, again, it's really expanded my brain. What, what's the goal? What's the mission for AminoCo? Optimal uh, amino acid nutrition. I think one of the things that, that distinguishes from a lot of the uh, nutritional products where you can buy on the internet is that they'll be part of a whole portfolio of different supplements and uh, uh, different applications. And, and they don't really, they're not really involved in one or the other. They just put together a whole portfolio of interesting things that people might buy. All we do is amino acids. Uh, the formulation is uh, the whole foundation of the company is based on uh, peer-reviewed uh, basic research translated to clinical trials and uh, optimizing amino acid protein nutrition in the uh, relative to whatever the demand, whether it be diabetes, uh, uh, aging, or in particular performance enhancing uh, uh, pre and post uh, trauma, uh, mm. pre and post exercise, and also trauma. 
So I think that, that that's really the key is that this is this is all we do. And uh, I think we do it pretty well. Mm. And it tastes good too, you know, like I, I, all the tests to it, you know, I, I uh, the the products that I've been taking over the last kind of, I guess, month and a half, they all, they all taste great. And, you know, that- and that's a challenge because the yeah. uh, amino acids alone uh, are not, all very soluble and they're not all uh, very tasty so uh, yeah. that's definitely an ongoing process of of trying to really accommodate the fact that people have to actually be willing to drink it for it right. to be uh, effective right well I, I think I think some people have a higher lower tolerance for flavor you know I I like raw liver now <laughs> you know like I'm the guy that, that eats raw liver with a little bit of maple syrup you know like so I've got maybe a higher tolerance for for uh, that puts you on the uh, end of the spectrum in my book, but uh, yeah, I, that was uh, you know it used to be much more popular. We used to when I was growing up, we had liver all the time, and it was just always my least favorite meal. So well, that's I, off to you for that's well, off to you for eating it. I'm with you. Like my my parents would do liver and onions like it was some special day when it was liver and onions day, and I hated it. I didn't want anything to do with it, but raw liver you know, cut into cubes with a like a teaspoon of maple syrup. Man, I, I eat that stuff all day. Like, I don't okay, know. Well, maybe like, I might conceivably give that a try, but yeah, uh, I, <laughs> it's not going to be first on my list. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, as we take this, this interview to a close, uh, the last question is the same question that I ask all my guests. Uh, it's a fill in the blank question. And uh, it doesn't have to be specific to any one area of focus, and you can elaborate as much or as little as you wish, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing. The importance of essential amino acids in the diet. If you didn't I think get we've that, done enough, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's been the consistent theme today. And I think it's, it's the toughest, it's the toughest challenge that we face is that people just, draw a blank when you mention the word essential amino acids and uh, that's really uh, my main goal is to uh, expand people's knowledge of the whole importance of essential amino acids in protein and overall nutrition well it's it's uh really great products that i can tell enhance enhance my life make me a better make me a better performer make me an optimal performer so keep up the good work doc uh Dr. Wolf, thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Oh, thanks for giving me the time. I appreciate it.